Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Sam Antosia, one of your hosts on this podcast. We are really excited to bring to the table uh, Akshay Kripalani. He is the co-founder and CEO of Injured Gadgets, an international cell part supply business. He is His business was the third most visited part supply business on the Internet last year, so he has a huge and booming business, which is quickly growing, as you will hear. I'm really excited for you guys to learn from that. I know I learned a lot. I hope that you guys can also learn a lot. Unfortunately, the audio quality isn't what we want it to be. It randomly dropped out, and we didn't hear that until after we finished recording with Shay. We will definitely do better for you guys next time. You guys deserve better, and we want to bring you guys better audio quality next time. Um, in the meantime, I hope that you learn a lot. I hope that you enjoy it. Um, if you guys want to contact Mick and I, go ahead. Take it away, Mick. All right. I guess you want to lead the intro, bro? Yeah, sure. You want me to? I got it. All right, you got it. Hey, welcome, guys. Mick Venezia, Sam Venezia, the Venner Bros podcast, uh, kicking off here with a nice episode here with uh, Ashe Kripalani, uh, owner and founder of Injured Gadgets, a uh, part supply company for both of our uh, businesses, Lakeshore Tech Repair and iSmash Phone Repair, uh, the main part supplier for them. Um, we're just here to talk with him about some of the various things that he's experienced mm. in his time in business. Uh, that he would be willing to share with uh, the listeners and us. That way we can learn from his experience and his time in business with Injured Gadgets. How long have you been in business with Injured Gadgets? So we actually started, I guess the the business for Injured Gadgets started back in 2009. I don't even know if we started selling phone parts until 2000, maybe 10 or so. But so I guess seven to eight years, maybe nine, depending on whenever we actually started selling iPhone parts. When you first started out, did you guys actually, were you guys a repair store for a short period of time? No. So the way it worked is, well, do you want, let me give you a top store, really good deal on slickdeals.net, which is a really popular, I guess, forum for finding deals. And, well, and my mom was like, why don't you buy 10 of them? Because I told her how good of a deal it was. And she's like, why don't you buy 10 of them and then just resell them on eBay? So I was like, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. So I went ahead and put it on my credit card, bought 10 of them, threw them up on eBay and resold them, probably made about three or $400 a laptop. And then I would just sit on Slick Deals every single day looking for stuff to resell um, on eBay um, until I found a niche product. And that niche product was iPhone 3G screens back, at the, back in the time. So that's kind of how it led into it. But yeah, no, I had no repair experience, no, no phone experience. I was just looking for items to sell on eBay. And I found iPhone 3G screens to be a pretty good niche product. For whatever reason, I thought I was on your uh, inst- or your Facebook page, and I saw someone like commenting or reviewing about like a uh, repair that you guys did, and I was like, I didn't think they did repairs, but I don't know. I must have been paid. No, so we, yeah, so Intergadgets. I mean, if a customer walks into our store, we'll say, yeah, I mean, sure, we could do a repair, but no, we we don't advertise it. And then of course, okay. some repair stores, they may not be the most well-versed on some of the newer phones, so they might break something from time to time. And then they'll send us a, a phone to repair or a device to repair. Gotcha, gotcha. So a little bit of mail-in and stuff like that. One thing I noticed was uh, you guys are adding kind of a new addition. Uh, well, we've all heard about the new facilities, how it's a huge, nice new facility and stuff like that. But um, I've heard that you guys are also getting into a little bit of device refurbishing and resale. Uh, so that's kind of a new thing. I know we were just previously talking about repair and how you guys aren't into that, but how are you going to handle that kind of scale with uh, having to bring on new people? I would assume. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's kind of worrisome to be honest with you. So yeah, as you know, we just moved into our new facility less than two months ago, um, and so we for devices we want to build out cages, and we have a 
Cage is coming in on Thursday. But when I was in our warehouse earlier today, actually, I was looking around and I'm like, we don't really have room for, for cages uh, for our devices. So uh, that's still something we have to figure out. I mean, we almost run out of room out of this, this facility. And it's over two and a half times larger than our old one. Um, so that's... That's a little worrisome, but we'll figure it out. Uh, in terms of how we're going to have people actually, I guess, set up our devices and QC them, yeah, we're definitely going to have to hire some new people uh, just for that because we're going to run every single device through a, a multi-point checklist of what's wrong with it, what's not wrong with it before we sell it. And, of course, we're going to be refurbishing devices in-house too. So we'll probably have yeah. to hire on some technicians in-house and get that moving. But, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a pretty big workload, but I think it's going to be a really successful one just from – the people we've talked to and the connections we've made at some of our recent shows that I know we're going to be able to really push devices hard and sell them to all the repair stores who buy them from us. Yeah, that was interesting because that was one thing, I don't know, six months ago when I started ordering from Injury Gadgets was one thing I noticed was my previous part supplier, they sell devices right on the website. Wow. And I was like, in a, in a pinch, you know what I mean? If I need a device, we broke a customer's device mm-hmm. or whatever the reason is, like I – there was one customer that I had where I needed a device the next day because they were going on vacation. We didn't break their device or anything like that, but they were going on vacation and they wanted a new one. Well, I was able to order it right off the website. I didn't have to go searching on eBay. I knew it was a good device, so I think it'll be a great addition. I mean, I don't know about uh, Sam being able to use it as much, but I mean, I think for a lot of shops, they're going to, for especially for in a pinch devices, and if you can compete a little bit on pricing with other wholesalers, I can see where it's just a lot easier to take that market because we don't have to order from three different places to get all the stuff we need. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of our goal, to to be a one-stop shop for repair stores. So, I mean, eventually the idea is to have all the MacBook parts, the Chromebook parts, drone parts, hopefully, to repair stores, start, start doing those, and, of course, the devices. And then we're going to be adding a significant amount of accessory SKUs as well to yeah. our actual website. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of going towards that uh, area just to make it a one-stop shop that everybody can order everything in one place and not have to go to multiple, multiple websites and multiple vendors. Yeah. I mean, it, far, go ahead, Tim. That sounds awesome. I did have a question earlier. Uh, how, how many square feet is your uh, new place? So the old one was 9,000 and this one is 21,000 and it's not boxy. It's just a big open area, at least for our warehouse. And yeah, that's what's scary because 9,000, I was like, okay, we're, we're a little cramped in here. And now we're in 21,000, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're, <laughs> we're running out of space already. Um, obviously, it's kind of because we have a nice open layout right now, and it's not like your traditional warehouse <clears throat> where it's like rows and rows of shelves. So, I mean, yeah, we can get to that that point where we have rows and rows of shelves, but <clears throat> I like I like the openness. I like the, the, the feel of it right now. I feel like the way we ship things is so smooth that I don't want to change it, but I know we're going to have to to kind of save up space here. It's funny if you're already getting filled up in that uh, 21,000 square foot facility. I don't know. In this area, we don't have much. Like the biggest thing in the in 30 minutes is 30,000 square feet. So you guys must be a big, a big, you must take up a fair amount of space over where you're at. Yeah. So we're in what, what used to be called like a tech area or the tech center of, of Georgia. So there's okay. tons of big warehouses. There's actually one I was like, I was talking to my business partner about it. It was 75,000 square feet, and it just went on the market. I'm like, we could move over there in a, a few months or years. But, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a few years from now because 75,000 square feet is incredible. But, yeah, that place I don't is know. like 
you'd, you'd have to bring on a whole village of workers to be able to get all that done. Oh yeah. So yeah. How many, how many people, how many people do you have working for you, Shay, that to help run all of that? 21,000 feet seems like, seems like it'd take a lot of people to run it. You hey know, Sam, on my end, you're not coming through that clear. I, Shay, is he coming through clear on your end or no? No, but I was able to hear him. All right. Okay. Same. Okay. If, if you could talk a little closer or something like that, that'd be helpful. I'm talking right on it, but I'll switch to uh, switch to earbuds. All right, sweet. Anyway, sorry about that. Sure. Yeah, ahead, so, so right now we we actually run with a pretty tight ship because I think everything is really efficient over here. So we only have 21 people, including myself. We are going to be hiring a few more people in the next week or two, but at the moment we only have 21. And I mean that's in house, obviously. Our our development team we have about four people for that as well. And then we're working on some software too. So, I mean, it, but in-house, we only have 21 people over here. That's one thing that I found is amazing about Injured Gadgets uh, compared to other companies and not, nothing against the other companies. I order from all of them and stuff like that. Uh, but companies not, and not just in the uh, repair world, but like other companies in general, it seems like you guys have really like enabled the employees to be like very motivated in, in their own space. And mm-hmm. that's one thing I was really worried or really uh, I was really not, I don't know what the correct word is. I'm losing track of what I'm trying to say here, but I was really, uh, intrigued about actually was how you had so much like employee loyalty and like how they're all focused on just pushing the brand injured gadgets into more different nooks and crannies of the repair industry. And like, I, I don't see that in a lot of other sectors where the, the, the person is more sought out for themselves than sought out for the whole team. It's sure. really neat that you're able to get that. And I was kind of curious what you think it is the defining factor about injured gadgets that makes it that, that camaraderie effect. Well, I mean, one thing I'd like to make sure is that we have a really fun workplace. So one, one thing I think that really motivates employees is, is food. Um, and, of course, I mean, we, we send food to our clients too. But one thing we do is we, we stock up our, our kitchen or our, our areas with tons of snacks. So we'll probably buy – close to a thousand dollars of snacks every month. And we'll just stock up the, wow. the kitchen with a bunch of chips and cookies and everything like that. Um, but it kind of gets people to like to, to get around each other and talk to each other. And then also we make sure that everybody kind of gets along. Like we don't mind if, if people are chatting about sports or whatever, as long as they're doing work. And then of course we, we like to promote from within. So the people who have been with us, they've been with us for six years, five years, four years. I mean, it's, it's all significant amounts of time. And then new people typically don't really leave unless they're moving out of state or something. So, I mean, everybody who's with us typically stays with us and they promote really well. Um, one of our employees was, he was with his company for, I think three years before he came to us and literally they gave him maybe 15% in raises. Uh, when he got to Andrew gadgets, I mean, he's probably doubled his salary in a few years Wow. And yeah, I mean, and we, we look at it in the sense of, I mean, if you look out for us and then you take ownership of the company that you're going to grow with us. And I think everybody takes ownership of, of the company themselves. I mean, we always talk, we, we don't ever say like you or I or anything like that. So even, even if let's say a shipment goes missing and it's a thousand dollar shipment, they'll be like, we lost a thousand dollars, not Hey Shay, you lost a thousand dollars, which is what I appreciate because yeah, I mean, it, from the bottom line, it might come out of the injury gadgets main account or something like that. But it's, it's, they look at it as if they lost it as well, because they understand that if the company grows, they grow. And if the company is failing, they're failing and they're not going to get their promotions as well. So I think if you instill that in your employees and you give them that sense of ownership and 
you don't micromanage them that they kind of take the lead and they they want to grow and they want to look at things that can really benefit them in their future yeah i tell you what just talking with like david he is always like if you start talking about injured gadgets at all and how much he likes work it's like you have to you have to ask him to be quiet he just loves working there so much so yeah i was really excited to hear hear what you had to say there because he's i he's just always excited about coming to work it seems exactly you know i mean like i said we, we try to make it fun over here we don't we don't ever really try to hold people back or make it a boring work environment. Obviously, there's times where we have to work nonstop and it's crunch time because so many orders are coming in. But, yeah, no, it's it's a pretty fun environment, and I think everybody enjoys coming in here. I've had multiple employees tell me that they actually love coming into work, and they'll joke around with their significant others or spouses or whatever it may be that work is more of like a, a relaxation or an entertainment or an enjoyment thing, even though it is work because of how well they get along with everybody. And I mean, that's also, that also comes down to how we recruit and how we interview people. I mean, we want to make sure when we are interviewing that we're looking at the people that will fit and mesh well with the company. So that's, that's partially what my partner does. And then she does with our our managers. I mean, they know who we're hiring. So they'll, they'll properly make sure that they are going to mesh with our culture and our company. And they're not going to be somebody who won't fit in well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I know like you guys are, I believe you guys were one of the top three most cell phone, most popular cell phone repair parts, most visited uh, last year, the website. Um, mm-hmm. So you guys must get a ton of business. How do you handle getting so much business and being so busy and not make it stressful for your employees? How do you let them relax while they're still at the same time, still churning out? Like you said, you're highly efficient. So how do you make it highly efficient without having like that almost Amazon workplace where they're just, they just feel like robots. Yeah, the funny thing is one of my employees, he actually worked for Amazon and his wife currently works for them. And he tells me about the nightmares of working for them in the sense that like if she wants to go on a vacation, it's pretty much like, okay, you can go on a vacation, but you won't have a job when you come back. So (laughs) it's a little scary. But I mean, the the way we make sure is that we, I, I personally would like to go down like to the warehouse or the front office or wherever it may be out. And if I feel like we're backed up or anything like that, I always talk to my managers and I'm like, you know what, do we need more people? Do we need more staff? Um, And if I don't think we need more people or staff, I mean, I try and find ways that we can make things more efficient um, and streamline them and make them more smooth. But no, I mean, I I definitely listen to the managers we have and they know they have an open dialogue with me and my my partner with that. They can come to us anytime with issues or if they're short staffed or if they have any problems or whatever it may be, they know they can always come to us. So they're not worried about oh, we have to only have this amount of staff and we're growing. I mean, I know that since we are growing, I don't want our customers to feel like, you know what, stuff is not going to get shipped on time. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's actually... Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. No, I think that's actually a really crucial thing. Uh, what you're talking about is like the open dialogue portion uh, between the managers and yourself. Like yeah. them not feeling like a lesser person or like, like uh, crowded over allows them to like uh, address different situations with their own unique ideas and stuff like that and make suggestions without fear of being chastised and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Which really allows you're finding all the strength of everyone in the group, if that makes sense. Exactly. And like I said, I mean, you don't want to micromanage either. I mean, I used to work a, a nine to five job and I felt like my manager would always be over my back and micromanaging me, asking me what I'm doing every single day on everything. And it's just like, I mean, I'm, I'm one of the top producers in the company. Why are you asking me every day? Like, I'm obviously doing my job. <laughs> but, 
yeah, so I feel like if you if you let them take the lead themselves, then they're going to typically run with it and do a great job at it. Kind of interesting, Shay, to note from my side, like I'm just, we're, Mick and I both are just trying to learn from you, you know, and help others to learn from you. Um, we were talking earlier about like what makes to what makes it to be an awesome place to work at Injured Gadgets. And then we asked you how you how you managed to make it so that way it wasn't stressful, and so that way uh, employees enjoyed coming to work, even though you uh, supply a lot of different like Verizon, AT and T carrier stores, and other places. Um, and you immediately like gave credit to the to the managers and said, you know, the managers inform me. I really just take the lead from the managers. So I think that just kind of helps to feed, I would guess it helps to feed back into the workplace culture where like, like you said, we win together and it wasn't you. I mean, we asked, how did you do it? And you just replied with the managers helped me essentially. Um, so yeah, you kind of talked about how you used to work in nine to five. What did you do uh, previously before you started out at injured gadgets? I know you, like I kind of posted in my Facebook post, I know that you said that you uh, you know, you started and you made a million dollars before you turned 18 and lost all at 19. Tell us about that journey. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll go back. To, um, so back when I was, well, first of all, in school, I was, I was not the most popular kid. So back when I was like 12 or 13, I didn't really have too many friends. So I kind of just, I guess when I got home from school, I'd sit on the internet. And then one day my sister came and she made me a Bart Simpson website. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so I decided that back then, at least, my passion was anime and Dragon Ball Z. So I decided to make a Dragon Ball Z website. Uh, and, I mean, so obviously I wasn't very good with design, but I kind of just taught myself HTML by viewing sources of web pages, and I would teach myself graphics on Photoshop. And so eventually I got to the point where I was able to make really good websites, and I made one of the most popular anime websites on the Internet, probably in the top five most popular. Uh, and it ended up kind of making a whole network of, anime website so by the time i was 15 or 16 i was fortunate but i was making about five to ten thousand dollars a month just depending on the month and how long my ads did yeah so um i realized my ads were doing so well that i think it was either late 16 or maybe early 17 when i was i made an online advertising agency called zonify and the funny thing is I still own the domain and I get literally every month somebody offering me thousands of dollars for the domain. I guess it's a cool name. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I still, I'm going to hold it forever pretty much. Unless I was going to say you haven't sold it now. yet, huh? Yeah, I think I'm going to hold it. But yeah, I, I made an online advertising agency and literally from the time I made it, because I had so many webmaster connections, so many people I knew who had websites, that from the time I made it, I was making 100000 a month, 200000 a month. Obviously, that's gross sales. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was, it was probably late 17, early 18 year old, I had made over a million dollars, but I was also so stupid with my money. I've, my parents were never rich. They always, my, my, my dad worked two or three jobs. My mom worked two jobs and tried to take care of us. That when I had all this money coming in, I would buy stupid things. And my parents, not really having money either, didn't know how to restrict me from buying these things. So before I was 19, I had a 350Z a Corvette, I had a BMW 5 Series. And wow. on top of that, yeah, I, I purchased a restaurant for almost uh, probably a little over a quarter million dollars, which not a single day in the one and a half years of owning it did it ever break even for a single day. <laughs> so I was really stupid with money, and I thought it would just keep coming in. Well, it doesn't. And I kind of I didn't work too hard. I worked maybe 30 minutes a day, if that. And I lost all my advertisers. I lost all the publisher websites I was working with. 
and everything was just gone by the time I was 19 or so. And I ended up working at the restaurant that I purchased full time and that didn't do well either. So that's how I ended up working at a, a bank after that. And I mean, that was, that was, it was humbling and kind of cool at the same time because I walked into the bank, well, not the bank, but I walked into my interview and 30 minutes later, I called up my sister after the interview and I was like, I definitely got the job. And literally 30 minutes after that, I got a call from the manager who interviewed me and it was like, yeah, you got the job, go take a drug test. So <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I felt like, I felt pretty proud of myself that it was essentially my first ever real interview. And I, I, I thought I nailed it and I got the job and that's kind of how I succeeded and failed. But I mean, looking back at it, I appreciate those failures because now I know what to do and what not to do. And then also working at the bank taught me so much because you work with and you talk to so many business owners, both successful and not successful, that you kind of get an idea of what to do and what not to do. And I'd say one thing I learned from a lot of the unsuccessful business owners is that they weren't necessarily unsuccessful. They just didn't know how to manage their money properly. And they didn't take the time to invest into themselves and their business. And that's the mistake I made as well. So you kind of learn these things by working with those people and then obviously making mistakes yourself that the number one thing, in my opinion, that you can do is obviously investing back into yourself and your own business and earning for yourself as little as possible for as long as you can until you are successful, I guess, in your own mind. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. You know, that kind of brings up an interesting point. I know that you, uh, uh, you are just bought a new house and you, you guys are currently uh, about to move into it. Um, how do you, how did you decide like what to invest into the business and what to invest like into your personal life? How do sure. you make that decision? Well, so now that the business is kind of successful and everything, obviously I take a, a paycheck and it's, mm-hmm. it's not like an overwhelming paycheck, but it it's a paycheck that allows me to live a pretty comfortable life. But, the, the paycheck still allows the business to take a, a significant profit every year and then allows the business to keep investing in itself. So right now I just take a normal paycheck, just like any of my other employees would take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still like to keep personal separate from business. So even in my personal life and my personal paycheck, I mean, I like to make sure that we, me and my wife do save some of our money and our income every month, not just blow every single dollar we have and depend on the business in case one of us loses our jobs or something like that. So, I mean, I, I kind of just take the same principle in personal and business life. Now does your, and I don't know this personally, but uh, does your uh, wife work with injured dentists or no, she is in a different line of work? No, she's in her own line of work and she, I think her job is pretty cool. Uh, she gets to work from home or telework, but yeah, her job is really cool. She's a, a recruiter for a startup company out of San Francisco and <laughs> I sometimes envy her because she gets to stay home, but I know her job is still very difficult and she does yeah, work yeah. constantly from the house. Huh. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, so when you, when you first, like, so when you first failed, uh, I guess I would, would you call that your first failure without, I guess I'm at, my question is like, what is your biggest failure? Would you call that your biggest failure or what would you say is your biggest failure that you've had in life? And what'd you so, learn from it? A cool story about that is one of my competitors at the time, I'm not going to say who it was, but I guess if you dig deep enough, you can probably find it out. One of my competitors <laughs> at the time, who was also a good friend, um, now granted he was significantly older than me, he was probably like 25 or so when I was 17, um, he had a competing online advertising agency. Well, about 
a year and a half or two years ago, I was like, I wonder what he's up to. So I Googled his name and his company name, and they were bought out by Google for $4.2 billion. Holy crap. Yeah, and I was just like, granted, my company was significantly smaller than his. It was about one-third the size. But I look at it in the sense that, you know what, we probably could have grown significantly if I was a little bit older and a little bit more mature. And I don't look at it as in like, oh, I could have, yeah, I could have been there. I still look at it as a lesson. But in the back of my mind, I do know that, yeah, if, if maybe if I was 25 or 30 and I had already made those prior mistakes, I could have been retired by now and that could have been my business and it could have been bought up by a big conglomerate like Google or something like that. But it's still, it's still a pretty interesting lesson. It, it definitely blew my mind when I decided to just search him up. Now another computing agency, I searched them up as well, and the guy was in jail. So <laughs> there's, always, there's always two sides to it. But yeah, you it, felt right in the middle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I guess I failed there, but I picked myself back up, and we started injured gadgets. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I mean, I you didn't you didn't go to jail, but you're also not a billionaire, so. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, that's two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. But yeah, I guess I'm yeah. okay. I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at between those two options. Now, what you spend a lot of the money on? Because I mean, you had a million, or you you made a million dollars at that age. I mean, I cannot imagine what I would even spend that money on. Exactly. Well, I mean, like one, I said obviously, well, taxes take a significant portion of it. Um, yeah. But other than that, the the restaurant cost about a quarter million dollars to start up or purchase, and then, like I said, we never made a profit a single day for the year and a half that we were open. So we were just funneling money into the restaurant. Um, and then, of course, my stupid car purchases. I mean, at 350Z, I bought it brand new. Like when it first came out, I think it was a 2003 or 2004, whatever year the 350Z first came out. Um, I bought the Corvette. I bought the BMW 5 Series. I mean, I probably – Yeah, I remember looking back at all of my bank statements, and I was just like, Man, I was blowing money on a daily basis. I was just buying random stuff off the internet. And for what? For just to have it, just to have materialistic things that aren't going to help me or do anything for me. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I do remember after everything failed, I looked back at my bank statements. I was just like, oh my gosh, what have I done or what did I do? Yeah. Now, do you find that the people that are tend to be more successful? Do you find that they tend to reinvest their money or that they tend to be uh, big spenders? No, you definitely want to reinvest your money. I mean, I, I, every really successful person I know has probably multiple businesses or multiple revenue streams, and they're constantly looking for new ways to make money and to grow themselves. Um, so I definitely don't think that they're huge spenders. Now, granted, a lot of these people who are successful do spend money and they buy nice things. Like, I mean, I'll go and buy nice things and so will my business partner. And of course, my managers, they, they'll buy themselves stuff too within limits. But I think it's always important to invest in your, your, yourself first, at least while you're starting up. Um, Andrew Gadgets has now been around for, like I said, seven or eight years. And we're fortunate enough to have multiple revenue streams and multiple products that we're working on, but still we're investing constantly into the business, especially some of our new revenue streams. Hmm. Interesting. So then how did, how did you decide, like, I know you guys just transferred to a new store. What made you 
make that decision? How did you decide to transfer to a new store? And why stay in Georgia? Uh, why stay in uh, Atlanta? Why not uh, move to or open up a second location on the West Coast or something like that? Sure. So, I mean, well, one, we, we would love to open a second location eventually, possibly. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't looked into that fully yet, so I don't really have the answers to that question. But mm-hmm. in terms of why would we keep this in Georgia and why would we keep it so close to our current warehouse, it's because, I mean, I, I love our staff. I don't want <laughs> any of them, and that would almost be like starting brand new. So, okay. I mean, would be the point of that? That would just be too much time and money invested into a brand new start rather than just keeping everything the way it was going and just pruning it from there. Yeah, so that that's makes why a lot we, of sense. Yeah, that's why we decided, obviously, one, stay in Georgia, and then two, find a warehouse literally a half a mile from where we were born. So huh. everyone gets an extra one-minute drive, but nothing big. <laughs> well, some people may get less of a drive, depending on where they're coming from. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Well, there we go. A little bit longer of a drive, but yeah, I mean, so the options were I was like, okay, I could I can move to a warehouse closer to my house, but I mean, once again, I, I looked out for the I think the best interest of the company where everybody else was coming from. Everybody else actually seemed to live in the opposite direction of myself, so we, we decided to choose one year, the current office. Um, I heard there was a little rumble that you might be building a new house. Is that exciting? Yeah. Um, so I don't even know how David got to find that out because I don't think I told anybody, but I think I just <laughs> told everybody. Um, she, she's uh, much more social than me, but, <laughs> but it's probably six or seven months out from being finished. So right now I am living with my sister and her husband, and so is my wife. So we're, hey, well, we're um, as we get to save money and not have to pay a mortgage for six months. There you yeah, go. There you go. Well, hey, if you if you feel like you'd like to prefer us to cut that part out, we can definitely cut that part out for you. No, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Alrighty. Um. So, like, I mean, this is this is just really interesting. Looking at it from an exterior, from a yeah, an exterior perspective, you know, uh, Shay, you've clearly done really well for yourself. Um. Yet you like still in the in between. You know, you're living with your sister and stuff. It's just really, it's it's. I think it's really noteworthy to note how 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 you know how much you save your money and you don't go out and spend it but instead you choose to just live with your sister while you're building the new house essentially it's really interesting uh, what would you yeah. what what advice would you have for for people like mick and i who own small repair businesses or own just any general business what advice would you have uh to so that way we can help help us to avoid some mistakes that you might have made sure well i mean especially when you're starting out and when you're first growing yourself just to Make sure, like I said, to invest in your business. Like, keep growing it. Keep buying new inventory. I can't tell you how many repair stores I have talked to who have failed um, or are failing because they don't want to keep inventory on hand. They're like, oh, I don't want to keep an S8 because it's $250. Or I don't want to keep 10 iPhone screens. I can have it the next day. It's a better idea, in my opinion, to always have those parts on hand and in stock because especially in our, our industry, I mean, phones are people's lives. They're constantly on their phone. I mean, teenagers are on their phone. Seniors are on their phone. Adults are on their phone. It's, I mean, it's the only way we can communicate and really do anything nowadays. And people don't want to be without them. So if, you're, if you don't have a part on hand and you're saying, oh, I can get the customer the part the next day, you're really losing out on the sale. So I would really recommend people just to, to make sure that they're properly stocking their business up, uh, keeping items on hand, just like us. I mean, we, we like to keep everything in stock as much as we can the idea is not oh we're going to have it a day from now or a week from now 
And so we know we have to have it right now because if we don't, someone's going to go to our competitor and buy it from them. And that's yep. what they from the repair business. If you don't have it, one of your competitors will, and they're going to go there. That makes a lot of sense. Customer for a long period of time too, because then they have three friends exactly. that, that want to get their repairs done too, and they all end up going to Joe Smo down the street. So exactly. So yeah, if, you, if that one lost sale could be multiple sales, and that's the way I look at it too. I mean, if if we have one repair store who ends up buying a part or another part from another competitor of ours, then they might just stick with that competitor because they always have parts of stock and we don't. Yeah, exactly. Now, like for somebody in a service business, besides like offering or always having the parts on stock, what, how would you recommend to provide really good service? Because Mick and I were talking about this. And one of the things that really stands out to us is like, if you go on to all the different, you know, Facebook groups and the discord, and uh, for those who aren't in the cell phone repair industry, uh, those are just groups where there are a bunch of different cell phone repair owners and techs. And whenever people ask where to buy their screens, injured gadgets comes up comes up in almost every single conversation. And now because of Mick, they definitely do. But yeah, even before then, they do. So I, really, how do you provide that awesome customer service where it just you have you have such a strong sense of customer loyalty? Sure. Well, I mean, one thing. I mean, we we try to listen to our customers and get the parts that they're asking for, understand their needs. Um, And then also we understand that the industry, I mean, it's still very new. So, I mean, people may not know how to repair certain things. So we always have technicians on hand who are trying to break down the newest devices. So, I mean, I've already bought like an S9 and an S9 plus to tear them down so that if we do get the questions from repair stores, like how do you do this or how do you do that? We have the answers to it. Um, But on top of that, we always make sure that, we understand there's a cost of doing business and it kind of applies to repair stores too. And what I mean by that is sometimes a customer might break a flex cable or a screen or something. And we try not to blame them because there's no way to really prove it. And so we understand that, okay, you, you might've broken something, but we'll take your word for it that maybe a chipset was broken on our end. Um, and we'll just take that as a cost of doing business and take the loss on it. So, we always give our customers the benefit of the doubt and that kind of gives them a sense of loyalty in us that we trust them no matter what. Um, because who knows, it could have been broken on either side or whatever may have happened, but we give them that sense that we're going to trust them no matter what. And we're going to go with what they said. Um, obviously to a limit now, you, you keep on saying that on a weekly basis, that stuff came broken. Yeah. Probably not going to believe you and keep on replacing products for free. But yeah, I mean, within limits, I mean, we work with our clients constantly to just go with what they say um, and take care of them as much as we possibly can. Okay, so kind of like similar to like if an ice cream, if somebody was like outside of an ice cream shop and say they like drop their ice cream cone or whatever, like that, you under your business philosophy, you definitely think that shop should just replace their ice cream for free because then they'll come back to you. Exactly. I mean, it, it might suck. Like obviously it's not the ice cream shop's fault that the ice cream fell off or it was windy or whatever it was, but I mean, you're going to make a customer happy and they're going to have that loyalty to you and they're going to probably tell their friends about you and keep coming back. Well, one thing I've noticed as a customer perspective is like the only real issue I've ever had with injured gadgets wasn't even their fault, but it was the shipping company. Uh, they mm-hmm. like, and I still have this at my shop today is uh, the shipping company. They won't deliver packages for whatever reason. Like I'll sign the paperwork and everything like that, but they won't deliver packages without a signature. Uh, at my business mm-hmm. now at my home location they were they deliver them completely fine um but the issue was i was trying to get them delivered and i was i mean i'm a school student so i wasn't able to be there during the day to sign for the packages 
And then like, I ended up having to drive, I think it was like an hour and a half total every time that I got a package in from Indra Gadgets or whatever, because the shipping company would not like leave them there. So I have to go pick them up from their headquarters location, like kind of a sketchy area late at night. And like, what it was really nice about it is I sent, I think I sent Shay a message a while ago and I was like, this is getting really annoying me having to drive out there. Is anything like we can, cause I knew it was a company policy where you guys had to have, uh, had to have the signatures. And I was like, is there any way we can like make an exception? I can sign paperwork that says like, I'm not liable or you're not liable or whatever. If the products get lost and you're accommodating to my needs and stuff like that, which I, I took notice to. And I was like, okay, you know, it's not, they're not just here to make my money. They're here to take care of me. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And no, I mean, and you're right. I mean, certain things will have to obviously bend company policy for clients that we know are, are loyal to us and they, they're trustworthy. Um, and I think you, you kind of have to do that with every business, just making sure your customers are happy because you know that they're going to, they're not, they're not out to get you necessarily. They're just trying to take care of themselves and their business and save their time. It's, it's like when a customer comes back and they've, they've spent a couple hundred dollars with you on repairs for their whole family and they come back the next day saying the screen cracked on its own. Now our, uh, like I've replaced screens for free, admittedly, uh, when the customer tells me that the screen cracked on its own uh, the next day or whatever, because maybe there was a weak point or maybe there was a bend. But like the customer, regardless, now I'm not doing this all the time, obviously, but regardless, the customer has spent money with me. Uh, they brought they took their services to me and stuff like that. And uh, I want to leave them a happy or I want them to leave a happy customer. There's very few times where I want to just fire a customer. You know what I mean? So. Right, exactly. Like I said, it's a cost of doing business. So, I mean, you have to take some of these losses into account before before you get started or before you make your business plan because it's going to happen. Yeah. Now, Shay, you, you were talking you were talking about, like, the cost of doing business and stuff. Um, some people, uh, I mean, I've always heard, like, one that you should uh, not, you don't necessarily have to be the best. You just have to employ the best. So, when you were growing and you were still in the learning stages, like, how did you handle, uh, like, for accounting? Did you guys have an account? Did you use an account? Or did you just learn QuickBooks? And uh, going from there, like, graphic design, did, did you guys have a graphic designer? How do you handle that? Did you start out when you were originally starting out? Did you start out with uh, hiring a bunch of people? Or did you just kind of do it all yourself? How did what would you, how would you recommend other people do it when they're starting out with a low sure, budget? So when we were brand new, obviously, we just went on eBay and Amazon. Um, but in terms of accounting, I mean, my business partner has always been kind of like the finance part of the company. So she's she's been amazing. She's she still handles our accounting to this day. Obviously, she creates everything and gives it to the accountant, and then he files it for us and makes sure it's all in order. Um, but yeah, she's always taking care of that. The hiring of people, the accounting, um, pretty much all the stuff that I don't want to do, and that's why we're great business partners. <laughs> what I don't want to do, what I'm at, she does, and vice versa. Um, and then, of course, yeah, when we first started, I mean, we were on a tight budget. So all of our eBay images were done by me um, with as much Photoshop knowledge as I had, which was which was decent because, I mean, like I said, I used to have anime websites and Dragon Ball Z websites. So this one was pretty decent. But, yeah, I mean, we, we kept it on as as low of a budget as possible and we kind of handled everything ourselves. Now, obviously, I mean, one of my employees takes all of our pictures and he adds all the listings to the website. Um our website is managed by a development team who does all the coding and custom modules and integrations for us. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, now we have the right people in the right places, but definitely when we started, we, we try to do as much of it as possible on ourselves. Interesting. So, I mean, to start out the wholesale business, you said you started out with uh, 3GS screens, right? 
So did you just, how long did it take you essentially to, until you were able to pull your first paycheck from injured gadgets or how long did you wait? So I was very fortunate when I worked at the bank that I still lived with my parents. Um, so I saved up probably twenty or $30,000 in the two or three years that I worked at the bank, maybe a little bit more. So honestly, I don't really think I took a paycheck for a while. And if I did take paychecks, they were pretty minimal, like $500 a month or $1,000 a month because I tried to keep as much of it as possible in the business. Um, now, when my partner quit her job and joined me for the time, then I really started working harder because I felt like I had asked her to quit a really successful job and I could not let the business fail because I knew the risk she was taking and I knew she was trusting me and my capabilities to really grow this business. Interesting. But yeah, and that definitely took a while to to really grow the business. But I, I think that's another good thing that entrepreneurs should do if they have their own businesses. They should look at it as if people are counting on them, even if nobody's counting on them. Because I feel like when she did quit her job, it really lit a fire under me to work much harder and make sure that we were very successful because I could not let the business fail for as much as she was sacrificing by leaving her successful job. Interesting. How do you, so you, you chose to have a business partner and previously you hadn't, uh, what Mick has had a couple of business partners as have I, what, how, what's your experience? Do you, if you were to start another business, would you automatically have a business partner or would it more depend on the, uh, on the situation. Well, now I probably always keep her as my business partner unless my wife wanted to do something with just us because, I mean, since we had built such a great long relationship, I would probably not do a business without her, even if I wasn't involved with it. With it, Even with her, I mean, she's she would like to open a, a Montessori school now and she said, hey, you invest half the money and you don't do anything and I'll run it. So I said, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a, an agreement me and her have now that we're both great at our own sets of things and we're always going to be business partners and things. And it may not involve the other person, but the other person's going to invest their half of it into it and go from there. Huh. Interesting. Would you recommend, so it seems like you found an awesome business partner for people who haven't found that yet. What would you recommend? Would you recommend that they start out by themselves if they haven't really found anybody fantastic or that they should go searching? Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely no doubt that you can do it by yourself. I mean, it, obviously with a business partner, you have to really trust them and then you, you don't want to necessarily butt heads with them. And me and her do pretty often, but we get along more often than not. But I mean, working by yourself is perfectly good. I mean, I was successful in, in my first business as my second business and everything like that until I got lazy, obviously, um, by myself. But yeah, I mean, a business partner can definitely help you with some of the things that you're not great in. Like I'm not really good in making sure we're perfectly legal and doing our taxes and our finances and hiring people and making sure we have the right IRS forms and everything like that. And she is the backbone. She makes sure we are completely legal or compliant and that we're doing everything by the book. Um, so if you find somebody who's the yin to your yang, definitely go for it, but it's not a necessity. Interesting. That's a good point. I mean, I think, I think you really have to bounce off with someone that is more like, I think it's a similar situation uh, in my partnership with, with how you have it with your partner. Um, one of them handles more of the financial aspect and making sure everything balances out and uh, making sure we're filing properly and stuff like that. And the other person handles the operations and stuff like that. Exactly. That's, that's, that's really how it goes with, with my partnership with Israel as well. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, I've mentioned that to you, Shay, but uh, Israel also owns the shop with me in Michigan. Uh, so 
and that's that's an interesting portion of our of our partnership is that I brought him on because I wanted um, I wanted the expertise and the knowledge that he had about running businesses. Uh, that way I knew I was compliant and stuff like that because for the longest time I wasn't sure how to do it all properly, which is funny because today uh, we actually brought in the taxes from the last season, which took us like I don't know, countless hours, probably 60, 80 hours to get all together. So. Right. Yeah, no, and I mean, even if you don't have a business partner, it's always great to get advice from outside. I mean, no one's going to know everything and no one's going to have the best ideas or the best resources. So it's always great to listen to other people. Um, even if they're not your business partner. I mean, I, I literally learn so much every day from our customers. And then, of course, the, the team we have over here, that it's, it's invaluable information. So just listening to people and talking to them um, and taking their advice is always important. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that one of the, you know, Mick, Mick and I started Lakeshore Tech Repair together. I think that that was one of the, one of the first uh, lessons that we learned very, very quickly. Less than, what was it, like two weeks after, bro? I think two weeks into it. A week. A week. a week, a week, a week into it. I fired. Uh, you know, I, I was essentially fired as a partner. I was fired <laughs> and, uh, and, and fairly so I wasn't, I wasn't working as hard as Mick was to be completely honest. But also I think that at that time, Mick uh, didn't really have any appreciation for having a website up or having search engine optimization or having any accounting or anything like that, you know? And I, I, I learned how to work harder and that I needed to work harder and that I wanted to work harder. And uh, I think I think Mick also took took away from that. Now he has a website up, and we're a study and marketing company uh, called Enterprise Marketing. Just kind of, you know, using that experience and recognizing that we each bring something unique to the table. And if one person one person doesn't bring something, that's awesome because the other person typically brings that. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome that you guys are expanding too and looking into so many different things. Well, just yeah. like you were talking about, um, like with with another company controlling the life of our industry in my opinion like the uh apple being the majority i mean we're trying to change that here at our shop but apple being the majority of the repairs that we see uh they kind of control the industry and like what we saw with this 11.3 update uh it's a little scary the power that they do have over everyone uh so it's definitely important to me and to sam i'm sure uh to create multiple income streams that way we're not stuck if something hits the fan or whatever so absolutely no it's all always a great idea to diversify and not just make sure you're you're looking at one revenue stream um and i mean just going back to my online advertising days i guess there was one vendor who we worked with who was literally like 70 percent of our business and i that's part of why we failed is because i thought that it would just continue forever and i didn't bother looking for more and more advertisers so yeah no it's always a great idea to have multiple revenue streams and not just stick to one even if it's doing great and you think it's going to last forever it doesn't always last forever it sounds like how one of our father's businesses uh slowly uh degraded or whatever it was he had a he would work for uh different funeral homes and stuff like that and they're not funeral homes sorry uh what is it sam i don't nursing know what you're they're not dead yet <laughs> and he and he had 30 funeral or uh, nursing homes underneath his belt and then the next year, and he thought he was all good. And then the next year, he had two. I think he has two now, and it's three years later or something like that. Um, wow. And obviously, he has other incomes as well, so it's not that big of a deal. But it's just interesting. He was just talking to me about this two weeks ago or something like that. And he's like, make sure you really diversify because, like, I did not expect that to happen at all. But someone came in with this big contract saying they could offer every single service the company needed, and the person just took it. You know what I mean? So 
uh, people's loyalty uh, is something that's really hard to, to keep. And a lot of times you'll see people just sway because of the money more than anything. Right. Absolutely. People are, people could definitely switch on a dime. So yeah. no one's typically loyal and you don't know when things are going to change. Yeah. No, uh, you guys, you guys, and Mick and I love this part. You guys just lowered your prices significantly probably a month ago or so. Um, I was, I was talking to David about it and I was just kind of thinking, and David didn't bring this up. I did, but I was just thinking, you know, if, if part, if so, if the cost lowers and their percentage is if in their commission or whatever is a percentage of sales, like how would, how would you, how did you continue to make it so that way their income didn't all of a sudden drop because your part, co- because your price that you sold them at dropped or how did you, how did you handle that situation? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the hope was that our volume would increase. Okay. Um, and the increase of volume would really take care of that commission structure change. Um, and surprisingly, not really surprisingly, um, just like we had hoped, it, it worked that way. So I would say I think we changed our prices about two months ago or so. And I'd say in the last two months, our business has increased by 50 to 75%. Wow. Um, it's been a huge increase. Yeah, it's, I did not so, know it was that much. That's insane. Yeah, so literally, I would say this Monday was our second busiest day ever, and it was probably, yeah, this Monday was at least a 60 or 70% increase of what we would have been doing a month and a half ago or two months ago. So thankfully, yeah, the the, the, the rate of growth right now is it's pretty incredible, and I'm very happy with it, and it seems to be going literally higher and higher every week. We're <laughs> um, having, thankfully, record days and record months really often. Um, and I love having that. I mean, I think before the pricing change, it, it was kind of stabilized after, after it was increasing for a few months before that. So we had to make a change and I'm glad we did. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we were talking about having multiple, uh, income streams and like, you know, preparing for the future and stuff. What do you see as the uh, future of the phone repair industry? Where do you see it headed? You probably have the most, uh, expertise in this area, considering that you sell to both small shops as well as huge change across the country and then also sure. uh like what so and then what are your goals do you plan on staying in the phone repair industry for a while or just kind of see where life takes you yeah i mean well since it's definitely still growing in my opinion it has a lot of room to grow um i don't see a reason of leaving the industry or abandoning it right now um in terms of where it's going to go yeah i think there's definitely going to be some consolidation um and the bigger players are going to probably acquire or or have more repair stores join them. But I still think the mom and pops are going to have their place and, and the regional uh, chains are going to have their place in the industry too. Uh, I do think that a lot of the, the bigger carriers like Verizon stores and AT&T authorized stores are probably going to start rolling out repairs. Uh, but I think that there is enough clientele and business out there to warrant it. Uh, You'd be surprised if you really looked into it how small the repair store industry is. Uh, for instance, I mean, I talked to one depot last week, and they repair three million devices a year. I don't wow. know how many repair stores it would take to repair three million devices, but there is a ton of room to grow, and <laughs> I don't think people realize it yet because that three million—they're not even one of the largest depots there's still plenty that are larger than them. So, I mean, there's, there's still a ton of room to grow. There's a lot of devices that are breaking. There's tons of devices that are end of life that need refurbishing that may not be in the U S but they go out of the, out of the country and go internationally and get resold there. But you know, there's, there's a huge, 
huge business here that people aren't aren't seeing just because they they haven't thought of it yet. Um, another great example is we have we're talking to a K through twelve district. And they're going to roll out 100,000 devices and do a one-to-one with all their students. So, I mean, that's another 100,000 devices. And from what research we've seen, about 20% of those devices break on a yearly basis. So, wow. I mean, there's tons of business out there. And I mean, I know, yeah. <laughs> we're going to sell as many upgrades as possible. Clearplex. <laughs> same with, with up, the same with plug right there. Plan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the one thing you want to do. I mean, you want to make sure it doesn't break. So obviously you're going to sell them something for 30 to 50 bucks. That'll save them 200 or $300 down the road from the repair. Yeah, totally. Hmm. But yeah, no, there's, there's a huge business out there and there's multiple facets of the repair industry that people just have to attach to and go with it. Um, I mean, there's so many corporate contracts. Every every corporation nowadays is giving their employees devices. So repair stores, if they're just looking at customers walking in and one one person repairing a device, they're really limiting themselves. Gotcha. So, uh, where so what are your personal goals? Where do you where do you want to end up in like say twenty thirty years? What are where are you striving towards? Uh, so I, I definitely haven't worked out twenty years from now. Okay, but. Uh, I mean, I'd love to have, I'd love to have a kid, uh, possibly if, if God feels I should have a kid, then we'll have one. Um, I love my dog. So she's my kid right now <laughs> and she'll probably still remain my kid later, even when I have a, a real one, cause she's awesome. Um, go. maybe, I don't know. I, I really love working right now. So it's not even really like looking at any trips like that, but I mean, if, if I were to go on a trip, I would love to. Go somewhere in Europe or maybe like Dubai or something. Although I've heard it's really hot over there. Mm-hmm. But oh. yeah, I mean, personally, I'm I'm really comfortable with life the way it is right now. I don't, I don't really need any real changes. I'm I'm not like oh I'd love to have this or I'd love to have that. Yes, yeah, sure, or one day I'd love to have a Lamborghini or Ferrari. But I I and yeah, I could probably go buy one right now. But it's not something I need, and it would be, in my opinion, a waste of money at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with life the way it is right now, and it doesn't need to be any, any greater or fancier than it is right now. So if everything even remained the way it is right now, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy. Hmm. Cool. That's awesome. At least you're happy with what you're doing then, man. Yeah, no, I think that's important. Just to enjoy what you're doing, and you won't really consider it to be work. Obviously, work can be stressful sometimes, but I love what I do, and I love seeing the business grow, and I love – I just, I, I think life is pretty good right now. So no complaints. That's awesome. How do you find a, how do you find a balance between personal life and work life? I mean, I'm sure you get calls late at night and stuff. How do you, how do you handle that if you're out on a date or something like that? My wife would definitely say I have not found a balance yet. She <laughs> says I work too much. She's always, she's always picking on me for that. And I, I, I agree with her. I, I definitely need to find that balance and I haven't really found it yet because I do work a little bit more than I should. But I'm still young. I'm only 32. So, I mean, I've got time to, in my opinion, invest into the business before before we have a kid and before we have to really settle and everything like that. But I think, I think as long as you make sure to spend time with family, spend time with friends, and meet all of their expectations, then you can continue to work. A little bit harder because I mean your your family will understand. I mean if you have certain goals, just make sure not to neglect them. So I make sure to have like a family dinner with my my parents 
every week as well as my sister. Um, and then I, I try my best to take out my wife on a date at least once or twice a week and spend time with her and, of course, my dog. Yeah, I don't take her out to the park as often as I do, as I should, but I definitely play with her enough and give her enough treats and toys and run around the house with her and try to snuggle her as much as possible. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, I, think, make- I think that was a lot of great content. I mean, was there much more you wanted to say, Sam, or I thought we really hit on all this? No, I think that pretty much covered it. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what uh, people have to say um, and to, uh, to hear any of their comments. Uh, thanks so much, Shay, for being with us. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for taking the time. And Absolutely, guys. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I got to say, for, for your first podcast together, I, I was really impressed with how everything flowed, guys. I think you guys are going to be really successful with this. Um, and I, I'm really proud of you guys and the content you guys promote or the marketing you guys do. Let me know because I'd love to support you in every single way. I appreciate Thank it. you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I got to tell you, when we first when we first thought about messaging you, Nick was a little hesitant on the idea, I, as was I, and eventually just said, hey, we got to go for it. You got to ask. And you well, might I say said, no, but then at least we know. I said there's no way we, we're going to – because I was thinking about how much volume you have to do, and I was like, there's no way it's – like I don't want to take too much of his time and everything like that. And Sam's like, whatever, I'll just message him. I wanted to be yeah. nice about it, but yeah, it did it did end up that way. And so when you said yes, we were both super excited to uh, to have you on. Awesome, man! I'm really happy to hear that, guys. But yeah, no, I enjoy, I enjoyed it, and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to listening to the finished product whenever it's done edited. Well, awesome! Yeah, well, thank you, th- big uh, thank you to David. He's actually one of Shay's uh, Shay's employees and our, our account reps uh, for Injured Gadgets. But he actually uh, spent two and a half hours last night talking to us about editing the podcast and everything and he's not getting paid for any of that so uh, he just does it because he cares for his customers and because he's really passionate about audio he might end up doing it on my time (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) that that was unknown to me but (laughs) we appreciate it either way (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes i'll come down to his office and i'm like that's not work related but it's okay as long as he gets his work done and he does a great job i don't care (laughs) well a big thank you to shay too then Well, awesome, you guys. Right, guys. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, for all the listeners, if you want to find us, uh, the the username for uh, me is at Swish Jumpers on Instagram, uh, Snapchat, as well as Twitter. I'm starting to use Twitter a little bit more. Um, and my name is Sam Ventosia, V-E-N-T-O-C-I-L-L-A, if you want to find me on Facebook. And then Ash Shay, Facebook for Shay. And I'm on Instagram at SuperDuperMick, uh, Snapchat. I'm very active with posting video content on there, daily uh, ranted raisin on there. So thank you, guys. Everyone have a great rest of your day, and go get it. You guys too. Thanks so much, guys. All right. All right. See you, Shay.